Folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. On this episode, we are going to touch on the exotic cinematic offerings of the genre of Jalo. At the end of this episode, I'll have an announcement regarding my mid-year hiatus and what you can expect to be uploaded the week I get back. What is Jalo? In the basic terms, it's the Italian word for yellow. But in context of literature and film, it is a subgenre of mystery horror films and novels that mix elements of detective fiction, psychoanalytics, thriller, sexploitation, psychedelic, slasher, and supernatural horror. The genre started out as paperbacks that had yellow-colored covers, essentially pulp novels, cheap literature. But most know them as the film genre from Italy. The genre featured a number of big names both in front and behind the camera. Top personalities include Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, Mario Bava, Umberto Lenzi, Sergio Martino, David Hemmings, Daria Nicolotti, John Saxon, Edwidge Pennick, Ennio Morricone, Goblin, Fabio Frizzi, Stelvio Cipriani, Mimsy Farmer, Franco Nero, Fabio Testi, and many others. We've previously looked at one such film in a past episode, Bay of Blood in episode 19 for the video nasties. Some have argued that Friday the 13th was an Americanized take on the genre, which was featured in the very first episode of the podcast. On this episode, we are looking at six films of this subgenre, Blood and Black Lace, All the Colors of the Dark, What Have You Done to Solange, Strip Nude for Your Killer, Autopsy, and Bloodstained Shadow. Spoilers ahead, let's get into the movies. We got movies! mysterious, faceless killer. The police investigating her murder find cocaine on her. The police question the models and owners of the salon. When the diary of Isabella is discovered, all the participants become nervous, afraid the contents of the diary will get out and expose them all. One by one, models are killed as the police try to figure out who is responsible for the killings. Blood and Black Lace was one of the early attempts to bring the giallo genre to the screen, And who better to do so than Italian maestro of the macabre, Mario Bava. He was the inspiration for many. Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, Guillermo del Toro, John Carpenter, Joe Dante, and Quentin Tarantino. Bava planted the roots of the slasher genre with Bay of Blood. He pushed Italian horror forward. 
Bava himself was inspired by the likes of Jacques Tourner, which was clear in the opening kill that pays homage to a similar scene in Cat People. Blood and Black Lace showcased the elements that would be common of the genre, the lavish sets, the beautiful girls, the cast of capable actors, music with an air of mystique, the black-gloved killer, the colorful lighting, Much as Goldfinger was the Bond film that set the stage for future films of that franchise, Blood and Black Lace was the film that set the standard for Giallo. For a 1960s film, the violence is pretty gruesome. A woman is drowned with her wrist slit to trick police into thinking she committed suicide. A woman's face is forced against a hot furnace. Another gets a spiked glove to the face. A nice recall to the mask in Black Sunday, another Bava film. Bava wasn't one to hold back on the gore and gave Hammer some serious competition. It is this violence that is the draw of the film. The performances are wooden. A lot of attention went into the set design and lighting. Visually, it's a stunning movie. I went into detail about Bava in episode 19, so go ahead and give that a listen if you wish to learn more about the man. Carlo Rusticelli provided the Bossa Nova score for Blood and Black Lace. It stands out compared to later scores by Goblin or Stelvio Cipriani, which were more prog or ambience-oriented. We previously talked about Rusticelli for the Cat and Hutch trilogy with Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill. Cameron Mitchell plays one of the co-owners of the salon, Massimo. This is a very different performance by Mitchell that we may be accustomed to. This was when he was a legitimate leading man. He was a sharp-looking guy, decades before his turning into a drunken parody of himself. 27 years in the filth and the dirt of the street, and there ain't no music down there. Eva Bartok was the Countess Christina, the lover of Massimo, as well as a widow. She brings a coldness to the role, which makes it easy to hate her and hope she gets killed herself. Her other role of note was alongside Dean Martin in the romantic comedy The Ten Thousand Bedrooms. Thomas Reiner plays Inspector Silvestri, who had a long career in Germany. Luciano Pagosi returns to Mac in the Movies after we saw him in the Bruno Mattei episode. Here he plays the fashion designer Caesar. Goffredo Unger deserves recognition. He was the actor playing the faceless killer and had an extensive career after. He appeared in His Name Was King with Klaus, Klaus Kinski, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, The Four of the Apocalypse for Lucio Fulci, Cannibal Apocalypse with John Saxon, and Demons for Lamberto Bava, Mario's son. He was a second unit director for classics like Star Crash, The Tough Ones for Umberto Lenzi. He was a stuntman for many of the previously mentioned films, as well as Your Hunter from the Future and Danger Diabolic, serving as a stunt double for John Philip Law. Harriet Medin played a housekeeper in the film who serves as a red herring. Medin was a Bava regular, Black Sabbath, The Whip in the Body. She enjoyed a career resurgence thanks to Death Race 2000, The Terminator, Witches of Eastwick, and Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. While pleasing to the eye, I give Blood and Black Lace a medium recommendation. Don't come to this film for the acting or the plot. This is one where you watch pretty girls get murdered in varying degrees of brutality and admire the settings the film has to offer. Imagine pinup dolls on ice, but with restraint and style and just a better movie overall.
of the Dark opens with a nightmare sequence with abortion imagery and a man with piercing blue eyes. Jane wakes up from this nightmare. We learn she was in a car accident that caused the death of her unborn child, an incident she hasn't emotionally recovered from. This has placed strain on the relationship with her fiancé, Richard. Barbara, Jan's sister, recommends Dr. Burton, a psychoanalyst. When Jane visits the office, she sees a man with the same eyes as the man in her nightmares. Soon, she sees him everywhere and can't seem to get away from her. Jane meets a new neighbor, Celia. They quickly become close. Celia invites Jane to a dark ceremony, which she promises will cure her of her fears. Instead, Jane becomes haunted by the cult. We soon learn that the cult has connections to Jane's past. All the Colors of the Dark was just one of the many Jello films featuring the beautiful Edwidge Fennec, as well as a film under the direction of Sergio Martino. Both were synonymous with the subgenre. This film represents one of the better underrated entries of Giallo, haunting visuals, the stunning curves of Fennec, a great music score, but more on these details later. Unlike the other entries in this film, we have a Giallo that deals heavily with occultism and satanic rituals. This gives the film a Rosemary's Baby quality, as opposed to the whodunits of other entries in Giallo. It helps make the film stand out. Sergio Martino has tackled the big genres of Italian cinema, spaghetti westerns, giallo, cannibal, palizio pesci, post-apocalypse. Arguably, his giallos had the better titles. Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, The Scorpion with Two Tails. Martino managed to be versatile in the films and genres he dabbled in, allowing for a strong, lengthy career. Bruno Nicolai handles the music score responsibilities. The man conducted for Morricone. We heard Nicolai with his music for Phenomenal and the Treasure of Tutankhamen. While the score is grim and beautiful, there are a few moments of whimsy. Edwidge Fennec as Jane. Words can't describe the beauty of this actress. I swooned over her in uh, Mean Frank and Crazy Tony, but we get to see more of her curves, but not as much as we'll see later. She was one of the beautiful faces associated with the giallo subgenre. George Hilton returns to Mac in the movies. Uh, Annie Gunn can play The Dirty Two. We've seen him on a few occasions. He plays the fiancé, Richard, with a genuine sense of helplessness. He wants to be there for Jane. Ivan Razumov plays Mark, the man who pursues Jane throughout the film. Razumov is essentially the menacing slasher villain of the film. Uh, he's not the main bad guy, but he's the most prominent threat to Jane. His appearances keep the film from slagging like other entries in this episode. When he shows up, bad shit is about to go down. Razumov would be a genre film regular for Italian horror. Julian Ugarte was the cult leader McBrien. His face struck me as familiar until I realized he played the vampire in De Osorio's Fangs of the Living Dead. He's the real threat of the film, but he's more subterfuge. He's not the obvious threat. That honor went to Razumov, but he soon asserts himself at the end of the film. Luciano Pigozzi, Marina Malfatti, Nivi Navarro, and George Brigald round out the supporting cast. All the Colors of the Dark is one of the better films you can see from this episode. Fennec and Razumov are great. The music score by Nikolai fits perfectly with the supernatural plot. If you want a giallo that goes away from the whodunit shenanigans for something uh, more supernatural, uh, this is one to check out. Mm-hmm. 
Enrico is a college professor engaging in a morning affair with Elizabeth, one of his students. While they're together, Elizabeth catches glimpses of what could be a murder. Enrico doesn't believe her and they leave. While doing so, Enrico drops his pen as they go to his car. It's not until later when Enrico hears a radio news report about a young girl's body found near where Elizabeth and he were together. He even goes back to the crime scene to see for himself, which only makes things worse when he's on the front page of the newspaper in a photo. Enrico tries to keep his affairs a secret, despite the fact that his wife, the dean, and other professors know of his trysts with the students. Enrico soon learns of a past incident with a student, Solange, and her connection with other students in the school. The deeper he goes, the more he learns of the dark secrets among the students and staff of the college. What Have You Done to Solange was a film that elevated the degree and brutality of violence compared to entries in the genre ten years earlier. Going from Blood and Black Lace to What Have You Done to Solange shows a fixation on gore and horrific murders. This is only a year removed from the proto-slasher of Bay of Blood. Solange is remembered for the killer stabbing women in the vagina with a long knife, a sight on one occasion. You get brief shots of the aftermath, but enough for the image to stick in your memory. Not unlike the quick shots of the lust murder in Seven. For an Italian production, the film does a lot with the English setting. Much like Lizard in a Woman's Skin, Solange shows the dark underbelly of swinging London in the late 60s, early 70s. It makes for a nice contrast of the carefree joy of the environment with the brutal murders casting a dark shadow over the city. The film does have some pacing issues, while others may see this as a slow burn on the part of the filmmakers. We aren't even introduced to the character of Solange until we're an hour and 12 minutes into the film. With her introduction, the film gets a better pace as her connection to the murdered girls is slowly revealed, as well as Solange's relationship to the killer. Director Massimo Dallamano got his start as a cinematographer under Sergio Leone for his spaghetti westerns. As a director, he worked in the genres of giallo, pelesioteschi, and spaghetti westerns. With Solange, he makes a competent film that falters in pace, but makes up for it with shocking violence. The iconic Ennio Morricone provides the film with a dreamy music score. What more can be said of this genius? Whether it's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The Mission, among over 500 credits, on top of his music appearing in almost another 350. While the music to Solange doesn't stand out as his greatest, the vocals of Etta del Orso never fail to make any score memorable. Aristide Masachesi, a.k.a. Joe D'Amato, served as the film's director of photography and has a cameo in the film as an undercover police officer. Masachesi does a great job of capturing the beauty of England and the isolation of the forest when Enrico and Elizabeth get ensnared in a murder case. Shots of the POV of the killer, wearing black gloves, of course, are a match for those of Argento. Fabio Testi plays the Professor Enrico. This may be the first role I've seen of him where he plays a real bastard. He's rather manipulative of Elizabeth and is known for his affairs with the students. If you're looking for the charismatic Testi of Castellari's Palizio Tesci, this is not the film you're looking for. 
Christina Galbo of Living Dead at Manchester Morgue was Elizabeth. She brings a sense of innocence to the character. She's such a naive girl that you wish you could tell her she deserves better than Enrico. Camille Keaton is the granddaughter of silent film legend Buster Keaton. We saw her briefly in the supernatural martial arts comedy Raw Force. Her most infamous turn would be I Spit on Your Grave. She plays the title character Solange, who is the central figure of the final act. I can't really say much of her performance given she's mostly comatose, a la Judith O'Day from Night of the Living Dead. Character actor Antonio Casal plays Mr. Newton, a colleague of Enrico at the college. Casal was a bit part player from the mid-1960s to the late-1970s, he was Bill Carson, uh, the character that kickstarted the plot of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He'll pop up again later in this episode. What Have You Done to Solange is worth a watch for the cinematography, the grisly murders, the Morricone score, and to see Fabio Testi play against his typical cast. If you don't appreciate a slow burn, then you may want to pass over this one. Uh, this is one for the Jalo completionists. in brutal suicides. One victim cuts themselves with a razor blade. Another self-immolates. One person puts a plastic bag over their head before diving headfirst into a waterway. There's also a murder-suicide where a parent machine guns their children before turning the gun on themselves. These suicides are being attributed to solar flares and the summer heat. Simona is a pathology student studying at the local morgue. She hallucinates the dead bodies are coming back to life, working long hours and the summer heat get to her. One victim is brought in, another apparent suicide, until the brother of the victim, Father Paul, contests that her death wasn't a suicide. Simona and Father Paul work together to solve the murder, but soon the killer turns their attention to them. Autopsy is a giallo film that quickly deviates from the hallucinations and suicide ankle quickly after the introduction of Father Paul. The cover and the marketing really sell the opening scenes, but when the murder investigation kicks in, it's all tossed aside. I felt more could have been done with the hallucinations and have those play into Simona's investigation. There's a few instances of spiritualism versus science. You have the science of the morgue's findings contrasting with Father Paul's insistence of his sister's soul not consistent with suicide. This is another avenue that the film doesn't go down. Director Armando Crispino meanders through the film until the reveal of the killer, where the film picks right back up. Pacing, as you can tell, is a common issue with much of the genre of giallo. There needs to be breathing room between the kills, but many directors take longer than they need to. Can't say I've seen other Crispino films. You have another score by Neil Morricone, yet he takes a more avant-garde approach here. This plays into the hallucinations and the blistering heat of the Rome summer. 
Mimsy Farmer was Simona. She plays the role as fascinated with the hallucinations. She plays up the fatigue, but her chemistry with Ray Lovelock is lacking. Farmer had a lengthy acting career ranging from Lassie, Perry Mason, and Lucio Fulci's The Black Cat. Recently, she's taken on the role of a sculptor for various movie productions, notably Guardians of the Galaxy and Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Ray Lovelock, another alumni of Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, was Ricardo, the photographer racing love interest for Simona. Compared to his performance in Manchester Morgue, he also comes off as wooden. He brings nothing to a relationship between Simona and Ricardo. Barry Primus took on the role of Father Paul. Primus brings range to the film as Paul, showing range from passionate to passive to inquisitive. Primus has enjoyed a nice career revival, often sharing the screen with Robert De Niro in films like The Irishman, Joy, Grudge Match, and Righteous Kill. Antonio Casal makes another appearance in this episode. Here he plays Inspector Silvestri. Whether this is a tribute paid to Bava's Blood and Black Lace or the same character played by a different actor, leading to speculation that Blood and Black Lace and Autopsy are part of a shared Jalo universe, I'll leave that up to you. Autopsy is a film that starts out strong, uh, tones down in the middle, then picks back up in the last act. You have a great Morricone score. Uh, This one uh, depends on your mood. Uh, This is another lukewarm recommendation, uh, the same as What Have You Done to Solange? undergoing an abortion when she goes into cardiac arrest. She dies in the doctor's office. Her body is taken back to her apartment and placed in the bathtub with running water. Soon, the murders begin with the doctor conducting the abortion being the first victim. Then, members of the modeling agency Evelyn worked with are targeted. All signs point to a member of the agency committing the crimes. Magda and Carlo... Both photographers for the agency investigate to figure out who is the murderer. In the process, they fall in love. Meanwhile, the murders become more and more brutal as Magda and Carlo are the only ones left. I've been wanting to review this film for the longest time. It's been a good five years since I first watched this. At the time, I was monetized on YouTube and I knew if I reviewed this film, I would lose my monetization in an instant. So here it is now that I pretty much have free reign on my podcast. Strip Nude for Your Killer may represent one of the more extreme titles in the subgenre of Giallo. There's plenty of skin, especially from the lovely Edwidge Fennec. There's also some of the most shocking aftermaths to a murder. But there are moments of dark humor that add to the dramatic shifts in tone for the film. Compared to other Giallo, the pacing uh, remains at a strong, steady rhythm with minimal slowdown. Fennec, as well as other female cast members, are in varying degrees of undress. Femi Benussi uh, is another knockout. Given the film centers around a modeling agency, there is nudity aplenty. 
There is uh, no shortage of gore in this film. Some of it may be too much for viewers. Breasts are cut off. Male genitalia are severed. A lot of stabbings with dark red blood. The fact that most of the victims were nude adds a sense of vulnerability to the sequences. The dark humor adds some levity, but the tone is all over the place. One victim is clutching to a blow-up doll as they're being murdered. There's the romantic sequences that juxtapose the murders. There's the dichotomy of the modeling agency with all these beautiful girls and the horrific nature of the killings. Andrea Bianchi was the director of this ultra-violent entry in the giallo subgenre. This is the man that gave us the infamous burial ground at Nights of Terror. I previously mentioned in the Jerry Gross episode when discussing I Drink Your Blood director David E. Durston. I also noted uh, Jody Amato and Wes Craven as directors of extreme horror films who were some of the nicest people to work for. Uh, Bianchi uh, was not such a director. Uh, screenplay co-writer Massimo Felisati described Bianchi as an absolute masochist. He kept pushing the violence further and further. The music by Berto Pesano is a highlight. The funky R&B opening theme is a joy to listen to. It reminded me of Pablo was a Rolling Stone by The Temptations. Pisano would contribute music to other films like Burial Ground, Patrick Still Lives, and Death Smiles on a Murderer. Fennec as Magda, sporting an Audrey Hepburn pixie haircut, is just such a stunning beauty. Nino Castelnuovo was Carlo, the love interest for Magda. He starts out as a humorous playboy, but takes the situation seriously when the murders start. Castel Nuovo appeared in Five Man Army along with Peter Graves and Bud Spencer. He was also in The English Patient. Femi Benussi played Lucia, one of the newly hired models. Benussi frequently appeared in Italian film after starting out as a stage actress. Bloody Pet of Horror, Hatchet for the Honeymoon, and The Italian Connection mark her most well-known credits. Strip New Fear Killer, despite the shocking content, may be one of my favorites of the genre. Good pacing, beautiful ladies, a solid soundscape, and effective gore make for a strong entry in Giallo. When you see Edwidge Fennec, you can't take your eyes off of her. returns to Rome to visit his brother, Don Paolo. Stefano notices much has changed in the city since he left. Paolo informs him of some of the shady characters in the city. A doctor, a psychic medium, a woman who performs abortions, a local count who is reputed to be a child molester. Later that night, Don Paolo was awakened by screams in the courtyard. He sees a woman being strangled, but can't identify the murderer. He tries to find Stefano, but he's missing. Moments later, Paolo finds Stefano and they go to investigate. They find no body and Stefano tells Paolo he was mistaken. Hours later, the body of the medium was found blocks from the church. Don Paolo finds a note slid under his door, warning him that he will die if he talks to the police. More people are killed, all while Don Paolo remains silent. 
the threats continue to haunt Paolo. Meanwhile, Stefano has visions of a girl being strangled and sees a young boy screaming in a field. He also falls in love with a woman he met on a train, Sandra. She owns a painting that triggers those vague memories of Stefano, leading to Stefano trying to piece together those memories. After a fast-paced film like Strip Nude for Your Killer, the bloodstained shadow is a bit of a slog. The kills are great, but there's a lot of padding in between them that comes off as a slow burn, but slower than usual. There's some decent gore and violence in the killings. One guy gets the top of a halberd driven into his chest. Another victim gets tossed headfirst into a fireplace. Director Antonio Bito also co-wrote the script. He's done only eight films over a five-decade career. The music is fantastic. You have two of the biggest names in horror music collaborating together. Stelvio Cipriani composed the music. We've heard Cipriani in previous films like A Bay of Blood, Nightmare City, and Highway Racer. Performing his music is Goblin, who I dedicated an entire episode to. Uh, That would be episode nine. The two work great together with Goblin matching the ominous tones used by Cipriani. Lino Capoliccio plays Stefano. I'm not at all familiar with his other films. As Stefano, he comes off as an everyman that most can easily relate to, and he has strong chemistry with Stefania Cassini's Sandra. Stefania Cassini was Sandra, uh, the love interest for Stefano. She's beautiful as well, another lovely lady in a large field for Giallo. Cassini's biggest credit would be Dario Argento's Suspiria. Craig Hill filled the role of Don Paolo. Hill was an American actor who found a second career in the Italian film industry, mostly spaghetti westerns. He's great at expressing, more so than a lot of other American actors when in Italian films. I've actually seen Hill in All About Eve. Bloodstained Shadow is worth a watch for the amazing score by Stelvio Cipriani and Goblin. Stefania Cassini is also easy on the eyes. This is one to watch when you've gotten deeper into giallo offerings and have become accustomed to the slow-burning pace. And that wraps up this giallo episode of Mac and the Movies. Thanks for listening. I definitely plan on revisiting Giallo, uh, maybe for a Dario Argento episode. Uh, there's the Animals trilogy. Uh, I could do an episode on Deep Red, Tenebre, Opera, Sleepless. There's no shortage of Argento films to cover. He would be perfect for a Halloween episode. This week marks my last episode for a while. I'm taking my mid-year hiatus just to relax and take a needed break. I still have samples of the podcast and the three tenors uh, to upload on YouTube, since those are already recorded. The next Cinema Max Petrifying Bijou for Dawn of the Mummy will go up this Friday, June 26th at 9 p.m. I'll be back on Monday, July 20th, with the first of two parts looking at the iconic Nightmare on Elm Street series, along with the next Petrifying Bijou that Friday the 24th. If you enjoyed this program and want to see it grow, a one-time donation would be greatly appreciated. Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal are available. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Questions and inquiries can be sent to my Gmail. All of that info will be in the description below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Megan the Movies. Take care and stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.